we've been looking at the book of Jeremiah and trying to put things in perspective. It's a very difficult book because it does not necessarily run in chronological order. Why are we looking at an Old Testament book? Well, because it's God's word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, instruction, correction, the scriptures tell us. So we want to make sure that we uh, look at God's word and uh, do our best, of course, to go through it and study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, having said that, we're going to look at that in just a moment, but uh, this morning um, I confused some people when we talked a little bit about the gates, uh, and it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What could this be? There were several suggestions thrown out there that uh, it had to do with, it's impossible. You can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle except with a very powerful blender. That's the only way he'd get through there. Some suggested, well, it refers to a narrow gate and uh, a camel having to get down and crawl and grow through the gate. And all of that has validity to it. I did come across one of these uh, old-fashioned slides. Uh, because I'm an old-fashioned guy, this is not a modern-day gate. This is a gate on the temple wall. It's on the northwestern temple wall. This wall was, this gate was built by Suleiman, the Magnificent, in the 600s. But uh, it gives you an example of, so we're going back to Sunday school. We haven't started the evening service yet. We'll go all the way back to Sunday school. Uh, but I just wanted you to see, if you can, the massive size of these gates, remember this is all the way back to Suleiman and he tried to replicate everything, but notice the massive size of these gates, but notice this door right here. That door within the gate is called the needle's eye. The needle's eye. So they would not open the gates all the way for the enemy to rush in where they could uh, take the city very quickly to let certain people in they would open this very small gate that you can see these Israeli security guards doing right here. They would open this small gate to allow people to come in. And essentially, when we read about it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, some suggestion to that, and most of the commentaries I have, or many of them have, is that in order for a camel to fit through there, now yes, he has to duck down, but they have to take all the baggage off the camel in order to get him through that gate. And so the suggestion is that a rich man carries so much of this world's baggage with him, he's not willing to get rid of any of it, so he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a suggestion. Uh, the other suggestion is it's impossible for a rich man. Not impossible, but nearly impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven if he keeps trusting in his riches, as Jesus said to that rich man, okay? All right, let's go to evening service if we can. We're looking at the kings of Judah. Okay, these are the kings in the days of Jeremiah. What's important about the kings in the day of Jeremiah? Because over 40 years, Jeremiah experienced all these men. From Josiah, Jeremiah 1.3, to Zedekiah, he was the prophet prophesying in the city of Jerusalem. Just think about that. Uh, days of total toil, total unrest, total difficulty. Every one of these kings saved Josiah, every one of these kings, wicked, abominable, 
turning the people away from God toward the wickedness of sin, Baal worship, accepting foreign dignitaries, accepting foreign currency, having to pay exorbitant taxes to foreign currencies uh, of foreign nations, uh, nations invading one after another, and Jeremiah is preaching the word of God. And what's he telling the people? Yes, you are going to fall into captivity. Yes, submit. Submit to that captivity. Now, what would we say? No way. I'm gonna, you'll get my gun if you pry it off my cold, bloody, dead fingers and all this stuff. You, you know, we, we won't give up. We'll never give up. And, and, and all that's true. But what if God said to the nation of the United States, you need to submit and take full um, subservient role to Canada. You need to do that. You need to give up all of your rights, and all of you need to become Canadian citizens and follow every Canadian citizen rule. That's exactly what God said to the nation of Judah concerning Egypt, I mean concerning uh, the Babylonians, concerning the Chaldeans. That's exactly what he told them to do. Go there, be the best citizen there you can possibly be, and when I come to release you, I'm going, I want to send you back to the land of Israel. It's so fascinating. So why are we looking at these men? Well, we want to look at these men just to uh, see what was happening one thing after another and uh, the broken heart of Jeremiah. Remember, we started with Josiah. Josiah was a godly king. Uh, Jeremiah was in the midst of his, uh, his, of his ministry. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem with Josiah. Remember, we're talking about the southern tribes, the, 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 the tribe of Judah, little bit of Benjamin, but the tribe of Judah in the south. And that tribe uh, was uh, involved in wickedness and sinfulness. Jeremiah was sent to tell them to repent, or God was going to judge that nation. And Josiah, of course, is trying to get the people to reform. He's trying to get the people to recognize, listen, we've got to follow. We found the rules. We found the law of God in the temple. Here's what God said. He began tearing down the high places, the wicked places of sinful <coughs> worship of deities and God's paganism, de uh, demonism. We're going to get away from all that. And the people half-heartedly half did that. Uh, they fell right back into their sin. They fell right back into wickedness when Josiah died. How did Josiah die? Uh, the the uh, Pharaoh Necho from, um, from Egypt uh, came up to fight against uh, the Chaldeans, against the, uh, the Babylonians up in the northern part of the land of Israel and even unto uh, what we know to be Assyria today. So Egypt traveled up here. And this is Karchemash. It's right on the Euphrates River on the northwestern side of the Euphrates River. Uh, by the way, the Euphrates River uh, is mentioned in uh, the book of Genesis as, as part of running uh, out of the Garden of Eden. Was it the same Euphrates River? Was it in the same capacity? Was it in the same place? I'm not exactly sure, but it's certainly mentioned in the scriptures. So, Pharaoh comes up and he starts to fight here. He's helping the Assyrian Empire fight, apparently, against what we know to be the Babylonian Empire that was right in here. I'll show you a, a picture of that very quickly now. Uh, but Josiah gets word about this, and he's in tribute to Egypt. He I mean, he's in tribute to Assyria. He's trying to help Assyria, so he 
he runs up, and they meet right in this area. Oh, right, I'm sorry, right in this area somewhere. And they, they begin to go to battle, but Nico sends a message to jo Josiah and says, Josiah, you stay away. God is telling you, do not fight against me. God has a plan here. God wants to accomplish something. And what happens, of course, is Josiah is wounded. He's brought back to the land of Judah. And then there in the land of Judah, he dies. Now, the people placed his son, uh, his youngest son, jo Jehoahaz, on the throne. So you went from, Jeho from Josiah to Jehoahaz, or he's also called Shalom. He comes on the throne, and it was the people. It was the, he was the youngest of them all. The people were just sick of everything that was going on, and they wanted change. Sounds familiar? <laughs> they want change. So what do they do? They put a young man on the throne, the youngest son of Josiah. He's not going to fix anything. And he doesn't fix anything. As a matter of fact, things get worse and worse. So Nico finds out about this, and he comes down to replace Josiah. He sends a contingency down to, to uh, take Josiah off the throne, uh, which he does, and he places um, Eliakim, and he changes his name to Jehoiakim. So this man only reigns three months, and now uh, this man is in charge, or this man is the king of the southern tribe. Now imagine, if you would, what Jeremiah is doing. God's telling Jeremiah, go to the king and speak to him. Well, who's in charge today, Lord? Which king is it? And every three months, it seems like there's another king in charge. There's, every few years, there's another king in charge. And all the kings are progressively getting worse and worse and worse as they're in charge. And so Jeremiah continues his ministry. But think about it. If you were that prophet in that day and that time, what it would be like for you to go through all of this uh, difficulty with these different men. So I want to go, if we can, just a little bit Again, and look at some of uh, these empires and look at some of what was going on in the days of uh, the kings. So let's turn with me for a moment and we'll head uh, right for uh, Jehoahaz. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings 23. Again, this is history and I know it's difficult sometimes, but uh, follow along with me for a moment. Following Jehoiah's, Josiah's death, Jehoahaz takes the throne. And it's Nico that puts him in charge. Remember, they're still, they're still subject to Nico. Um, I'm sorry, this is Jehoahaz, um, who the people put in charge. And Nico comes and he taxes the people uh, for the wickedness that's going on here. Let's look at, uh, we're in 2 Kings and where did I say to go? 23. Look at verse 29 for a moment, please. 2 Kings 23, 29. And in his days, this is uh, Jehoahaz. And in these days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king. No, I'm in the wrong place. Verse 31. And Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hamutel, and the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all his fathers had done. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bonds at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he put uh, the, under the, the land under the tribute 
of a hundred talents of silver and three talents of gold, and a talent of gold. So now Nico comes in and replaces um, Jehoahaz, and he, he taxes the people. And who does he put on the throne? He puts his brother on the throne, and we know him, of course, to be Eliakim, and I'd like you to see that, please, in verse 34. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in his stead of Josiah's father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim, and took Jehoahaz away, and he came to Egypt and died there. So in the process of his, of his running back to Egypt, because uh, Necho has been defeated, or is being defeated badly up here uh, by the Babylonians up in this area, Necho comes back and he replaces uh, Jehoahaz and puts Eliakim, changed to Jehoiakim, changes his name, and he returns to Egypt, but in the process of doing that, he now taxes the people. So no longer are the people under Assyrian tax, they're now under Egyptian tax. So they've just gone from bad to worse, essentially, because the, the Egyptians certainly can't help them, because they're running from the Babylonian Empire. They're running uh, south to get back to Egypt, and the Babylonians, of course, are going to come in. Under, Jehoiak uh, under um, Jehoiakim, uh, his name, Eliakim, is God, the God of the Rising. That was what he was named by his parents, apparently. And Jehoiakim is he who is repaid. So apparently Nico had something in mind here. He who is repaid. He's going to be repaid for what's going on here. And he had an 11-year reign. His reign was partially under Nico the first several years, but then Nebuchadnezzar comes along, and he's now under tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. But I want you to follow him for a moment. We're in 2 Kings 23. Look at verse 34. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, son of Josiah, king instead of Josiah's father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim, and he took Jehoahaz away, and he came to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoahaz is off the scene now. And Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the commandment of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold from the people of the land and everyone according to his valuation to give to Pharaoh Necho. So he just lays the tax on the people. I'm not going to go into the treasury. I'm not going to bother using, uh, using the treasury money. He just taxes the people to give the money uh, to uh, Pharaoh. Pick it up, please, in verse uh, 37. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So as he's involved in, in his wickedness, it just is progressing, it's getting worse and worse. And the Lord tells us, does he not, that the sinfulness of man will just wax worse and worse through the generations. All the way down through the generations, sinfulness will become worse and worse. And just when we think there's no bottom, it opens up a little bit further. Just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it gets worse as the years go by. Okay, now let's look, if we can, please, quickly at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. This is, these are the history books of the kings of Judah. 
2 Chronicles chapter 36. Jehoiakim is mentioned in the book of Jeremiah from chapter 22 to chapter 52. So he covers a large span in the history of Jeremiah's life, 11 years, and he's mentioned 22 times. So this is not an insignificant party in the life of Jeremiah. Remember, it is, it is Jehoiakim who was in his winter palace and he cut up the word of God, remember, with a knife, and he threw it in the fire. This is the same person. He was not a very, very nice fellow at all. We're in 2 Chronicles 36. Look at verse 7 for a moment. 2 Chronicles um, 36, and we'll pick it up right in verse 7. Nebuchadnezzar came, in verse 6, against him, Jehoiakim. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, came and bound him in fetters and carried him to Babylon. Uh, rather, to carry him to Babylon. His purpose was to take... Um, Jehoiakim to Babylon, but apparently Jehoiakim was either killed in the process or, uh, or he, was, uh, he was murdered or he died. We don't know uh, what happened to him exactly, but we know this, that uh, he was not brought to Babylon. He died and he was actually buried outside of the city gates, outside of the walls. And Jeremiah points that out in uh, his writing pertaining to, uh, uh, to uh, Jehoiakim, that he was buried outside the city walls. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 22, please. Now, that's a big deal, to be buried outside the city walls. It means that you're not honored uh, as one of the ruling and reigning monarchs which was a big deal to the kings. They wanted to be buried at, in the proper place with their fathers, with a place of honor. We're in Jeremiah chapter uh, 22. Look at verse 13 for a moment. Jeremiah 22, 13. Because Jehoiakim was such a godless man, and he taxed the people, and this indicates that he taxed them way above and beyond what he was supposed to tax them to get money. And God warns Jehoiakim concerning this. And pick it up into him in verse 13, Jeremiah 22:13. 13. Woe unto him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives uh, him not for his work. So Jehoiakim was making the people do this work on his own palace forcing them to not only to work on it, but to pay. Verse um, 14, Who saith, I will build myself a house wide and large chambers, and cut out windows, and it was paneled with cedar and painted with vermilion. Shall thou, shall thou reign, because thou uh, closest thyself with cedar? Did not thy father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? And then it was well with him, pointing... Look back at your father, Jehoiakim, Eliakim. Look back at your father. He reigned in righteousness, and I blessed him. And here's what you're doing. Uh, you think you're going to reign because you have a big house, because you're a rich person? You think you're going to reign because you think you got it all together? You're not. You're not. I'm going to take the kingdom from you. Notice in uh, verse 16, he judges the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well with him. Was, it, was this not known me, saith the Lord? 
But thine eyes and thine heart are not but for thy own covetousness and for the shedding of innocent blood and for the oppression and for violence to do it. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, or ah, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, ah, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of an, of an ass, drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. The Jehoiakim was going to come under a great judgment, a horrible judgment. Why? Because of his wickedness. Because of his wickedness. So he reigned for 11 years, but he did that which was wrong in the sight of the Lord. Where's Jeremiah? Preaching the gospel. Preaching the good news. If you repent, Israel, you will, in fact, be saved. It's, remember, we're not talking about individual salvation unto eternal life. We're talking about as a nation. You'll be saved as a nation. Your country will not be overrun. It will not be overwhelmed if you'll just believe Jehovah God. And, of course, if they did, they would be saved by extension as well if they trusted the Lord and his word. Remember, it's responding to God's word and acting accordingly, just like in Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was put to his account for righteousness' sake. That's what the nation was going to go through, if they would do that. But they would be saved from physical destruction. But notice what happened. Well, he would not do that. That is, uh, Jehoiakim would not do that, and he was buried outside the city gates. Now, just for your reference, what, what in the world does that mean to be buried outside the city of gate, city gates? <clears throat> well, just quickly, I don't have a picture of the old city with me here, but this is, this is the uh, Jehoshaphat's Valley right here, or the Kidron Valley right here. It runs down, and it runs into what's called the Hinnom Valley down here, the Hinnom Valley. Right here, there's a valley that comes down. You barely recognize it any longer, but this was the Tyropian Valley, and they met down here in the Hinnom Valley. The Hinnom Valley was the dump. That's where people threw the, their trash to be burned, to be destroyed. That's where they would cast animals they, that were died of a disease. They would take them outside of the city, outside of the city limits, and they would throw them in the Hinnom Valley, and that's where they would be burned. That's where they would be turned into fertilizer, if you would. That's where the fire is not quenched, where the, where the worm does not die. This place was continually uh, festering with maggots and everything else. Why? Because that's where they threw all the trash, right there in the dump. Did you ever go by the Johnson landfill? That's what it was like. That's where they were bringing their... Their, their, their trash. And that's where uh, apparently Jehoiakim was going to be brought and tossed into uh, that valley. And apparently he, that was so. Okay, so now what happens? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, that this is going to be his demise, but during his reign, he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar went back to Jerusalem, I mean went back to Babylon. At that time, he took all the young men with him. Remember, he took Daniel and his people. Apparently, Ezekiel was gone at this time as well. Ezekiel was a contemporary of Jeremiah. And while all this was going on, remember the wickedness was going on, Ezekiel said, I saw the glory of Jehovah, the Shekinah glory of Jehovah, and cherubim took the Shekinah glory out 
and moved it to, toward the east to the Mount of Olives, and from there he took the Shekinah glory of God up into glory. I perceive that to be the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was removed from Jeremiah's temple in those days. But at any rate, Ezekiel, Habakkuk is on the scene. Maybe Habakkuk is taken because we don't read about these fellows anymore. They've gone off the pages of history. So Jeremiah apparently is by himself there ruling, uh, speaking rather for the Lord, prophesying for the Lord, and all these tragedies are going on. What's the next thing that happens? Well, um, turn back with me to 2 Kings in chapter 24, 2 Kings chapter 24. Jehoiakim starts feeling his oats apparently, that he's something special, that he, uh, uh, he's the king. Uh, Jeremiah's prophesying against them. He's not interested in that. He cuts up the scroll. He doesn't care about Jehovah God. doesn't care about anything. So God now begins to plague this nation of Judah, and particularly Jehoiakim, with raiding parties from other nations. And we see that in 2 Kings chapter 24 in verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him, this is Jehoiakim now, the, uh, after being a servant for Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has gone back to Babylon, his father, uh, in law has apparently become quite ill and is next to death or has died, and he goes back to be crowned. Now remember, all of this is very, very important in the scope of scriptures. Why is that? Because God said through Daniel, who would be the first Gentile nation to rule the world? It would be King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire. You will be that king of kings to rule the known world. You'll be the first Gentile power. Now, what would happen if Nico had taken over Nebuchadnezzar and killed him? God's word would be wrong. What would happen if Egypt had taken over the known world? God's word would be wrong. But God said, no, I have a plan. And it's all falling into place. All the numbers are lining up now. Why? Because God is going to place uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he called him his servant, on the throne to rule the known world. And so as Jehoiakim rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, God says, that's not a good thing. Pick it up in verse 2. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans and bands of the Syrians and bands of the Moabites and bands of the children of Ammon. They're coming from all different directions against Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim has no rest at all. Why? God said, the wicked will always be troubled. God said the wicked will always be troubled. Uh, turn with me just for a quick moment. Uh, this is a beautiful passage, Isaiah chapter 57. It's beautiful in that, well, it's not beautiful. Yes, it is, uh, Isaiah 57 for a moment. What does God say? God will give peace to those who believe him and trust him. God will give peace to those who believe him and those who trust him. And what is that peace? Well, we know from the book of Philippians being a peace that passes all understanding. With, with you and I as New Testament believers from Pentecost onward, it's because the Spirit of God gives us that, 
that love, that joy, and that peace. An Old Testament saint, an Old Testament believer, they did not have the permanent indwelling Holy Spirit, but they had the Word of God to rely upon, and they could trust the Word of God. At thy command, Lord, we'll do it. Pick it up in Isaiah chapter 57, uh, uh, verse 19. He says, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is afar off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. So God's, that, that invitation of Jehovah God out there for the people of the nations, if you would. But, verse 20, but the wicked are, not like, uh, are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And that's exactly what Jehoiakim is experiencing. He's never going to be at peace. Why? Because God said so. He rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, Chaldeans, Moabites. These are people coming from all over the world, mostly from the west, mind you. I'm sorry, from the east. Uh, mostly from the east, mind you, but they're coming up and they're fighting against Jehoiakim. So here he is three years into uh, being subservient to Nebuchadnezzar. He starts breaking the bonds, and what happens? In comes the judgment. Well, Nebuchadnezzar comes back, and he comes back to, uh, to take uh, Jerusalem. He doesn't himself. He sends back his army to take Jerusalem. He gets word, apparently, that Jehoiakim is, in fact... Uh, evil, and that he set up rebellion against the king of Babylon. You know, it's interesting, when you read in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, it says, don't, don't, don't murmur against the king. Don't, don't murmur against those in authority. What, what? Lest the bird of the air go and tell him. It, goes, it comes around. It comes around. You, you never say anything in confidence. It usually makes a corner somewhere. And those people in whom you may be saying something, it, it, it gets back to them. It gets back to them. And so the warning here is Jehoiakim was saying things against Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we're going to rebel against him. Uh, we're going to fight against him. God sends in the Moabites and Chaldeans. and everything. He sends them all in. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes in to finish the blow. Head with me to 2 Kings chapter uh, 24, please. 2 Kings chapter 24. I'm running out of time quickly. You're hot. I'm hot. Are the air conditioners on? They are. Okay. I must be flying with hot air up here. 2 Kings 24. Let's look at verse um, 5, if we could, please. 2 Kings 24, 5. Remember, these are the history books. This is the book of Acts for the Old Testament. The Kings, the Chronicles. It's the book of Acts for the Old Testament. Pick up in verse 5. Now the rest of the Acts, Jehoiakim, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his stead. So we now have a, a grandson to Josiah on the throne, Jehoiachin. Now it gets even worse than that, okay? Because Jehoiachin is called Jeconiah, or just Kaniah. He's still Jehoiachin, okay? Still the grandson. But recognize now, please, he, he's the son of uh, Jehoiakim, but he, and he's the grandson of Josiah. Jehoiachin. Remember, it's, it's under Jehoiachin that the, the lineage is cursed. 
You have to go back into the book of uh, Matthew and Luke to, to search that out. The, but his lineage is cursed. Will, no one from his line will sit on the throne. But let's, let's continue on, if we could, here, please. In verse uh, 7, And the king of Egypt came not again anymore out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken from the river Egypt to the river Euphrates all that pertains to the king of Egypt. So now Pharaoh Necho is right off the scene. They were paying tribute to Pharaoh Necho, but he's no longer on the scene. What happened? Nebuchadnezzar came up and took everything, all the way down, even unto the Nile River. The Babylonians now rule the known world. They've taken control. They are the first of the Gentile world empires. You know what's amazing? At one time, this little tiny nation ruled the whole world. They ruled the whole world under uh, David and then his son Solomon. But now, it's been taken from them. Who took it from them? God. Why? Because God said he would. If you honor me, I will honor you. I will bless you. I will honor you. And you'll dwell in this land. If you dishonor me, I will not honor my commitment to you to keep you in this land. Now, he's going to get them back into the land at a later date. He said that in, in what we know to be the great millennial kingdom. The, the entire land will be restored to the nation of Israel. But now, they're going to lose it all. And you know, they've never, ever recovered from this. They never recovered from this. Let's continue on. We're, I'm almost out of time here. So, uh, Nico's off the scene. He's back in, in um, Egypt now. And Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. And his mother, I skipped down to verse 9, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And at that time, during uh, Jehoiachin's reign, and at that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. No, the city was besieged, and um, in verse 11, And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers and the kings of Babylon, took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he tarried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon king of Egypt made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. And none remained except the poorest sort of the people of the land. So this is what we would know to be the second invasion because, of course, of uh, uh, Jeho uh, Jehoiah, uh, Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin. Uh, he comes back in and he takes almost everything, almost everything completely. Now, this is not the end of it. There's going to be one more invasion, one more horrible invasion, and we know that to be, of course, under Zedekiah, and we'll see that in just a moment. But this is the kind of the chronological order of what's happening. Who's in Babel, I mean, who's in um, Jerusalem witnessing for the Lord? It's Jeremiah. 
And you know, Jeremiah doesn't, he, he hardly breezes through this. Why? It doesn't matter who's on the throne. I still have the word of God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's in charge. I can still talk about the Lord. As a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar heard about Jeremiah, and we'll see this a little later on, and he said, listen, you can come to Babylon with me. And Jeremiah said, no, I don't want to go. I'm going to stay here. It reminds me of Moses, doesn't it? He'd rather suffer with the people of Israel to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It's wonderful. Well, we'll have to pick it up again the next time we get together. Uh, I'll, I'll only run a little bit next time about this, okay? So you can tell the people who aren't coming anymore to come back. I'll be back. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your revealed truth. Father, we see this man. What a man he was. What a backbone this guy had. He was not weak. He stood. Did he get discouraged? Yes, Father. It's in the pages of Scripture for us to read. And yet, Father, he stood like a man when adversity came. We thank you, Father, that we can have him as an example, uh, that you spoke to him through your word. You gave him commands directly and indirectly. And, Father, you used him to... Uh, glorify your name. Father, we have not direct uh, revelation from you, but that which comes through your word, which is direct enough for us. We don't hear voices, Lord, but we see and read from the pages of Scripture. And the Blessed One, the Spirit of God, gives us uh, insight into that word, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So, Father, as we look at the book of Jeremiah, as we read some of these fascinating uh, historical facts, help us to realize that whatever things were written in earlier times were written for our learning, that we would not be like this nation. We would not turn our back from you. We would recognize, Father, what your word says, and that whatever you have said will come to pass. So, Father, help us to walk according to the truth of the word of God by the Spirit of God, so that we might be a testimony to the world round about us. And Father, as we stand for you, we pray that we would not do it in a boastful way, a prideful way, but in a humble way, and that the world would ask us a reason for the hope that's within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.